I don't think it can be denied. We are truly a beautiful people. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. Great to have you. It is uh, November the 14th. Is it the 14th? It's the 14th, right? It's November the 14th. <laughs> I've got a great show for you. And the Devil's Advocate, I'm going to talk to you about an article that's not new. In fact, it's very old. And it's a re-release of an article that already existed called Anton LaVey Speaks, the Canonical Interview. In the Infernal Forum, I only have one article, but it's one that I feel like we have something to talk about. Lack of charges in fatal West Side shootout lead Mayor Lightfoot to criticize Prosecutor Kim Fox. We can't live in a world where there is no accountability. And yet we do. And yet we do. We'll get into it. And in the Creature Feature, my wife and I watched this really crazy, really weird show, film, called Gaia. We want to talk about it because... There's something in there worth talking about. All right. Uh, Chad, I got to ask. I, I, I wish I could ask. I could do a poll. Everyone named Chad and Steve and Mike. Do you get shit just because of your name? Because it seems like in every like 80s film or just every, I don't know, popular culture riff in general, it's always Chad, Steve, and Mike that are the dicks. Every time. And if they're not the dicks, they're the douches. So you either get the double D, one of the two. So I wonder, if, <laughs> I'm not trying to say you are, of course. I'm just wondering, do you get that from other people? Do they're like, oh, hey, Chad. You know what I mean? Or they're like, Chad, what's up? I'm curious. Let me know. Um, hey, my name's Adam. So I get a bunch of shit, too. So just, you know, putting it out there. <laughs> I'm not trying to shit on anyone's name. Valeria, how are you, my dear? Lexi, what's up? Uh, Gary, how's it going, man? Uh, James, hi, where are you? Thanks for joining. Rain S, what's up? Dallas, Dallas, it's been forever. How you doing? Good to see you. Fareeth, what's happening? Dog, how you doing? Thanks for tuning in. Enoki Labs, what is up? I'm, commu I'm, I'm really curious about your last name, Labs. I know Enoki is like short for Enochian, perhaps, but Labs, I'm not sure I get. Zachary, thanks for joining live. Ruth, how you doing, hon? Thanks for joining live. Christopher Lee, always great to see you. Shane, what's up? Dwayne Wilson, how you doing? Allison, good to see you in the live chat. Not at all. All right, cool. Robert, what is happening, man? And Cameron, my man in Amsterdam, how you doing? <laughs> I was going to say the other one, my Anne in Ingleworld, but I figured that might be a little offensive to some people. How you doing, Rod? All right, so <laughs> what's up, Richard? It's going to be a good show. I just got finished watching a documentary about the Skywalker saga. And uh, so I'm a little bit sort of wrapped up in that headspace. I'm going to try my best to break free and uh, focus on, on Satanism here. But hey, Achilles, how you doing? Oh, study of active science. I like that. No, I don't retract that. That's good stuff. All right. Uh, 
I don't really have anything. I didn't do anything this whole weekend. Like I worked on online digital stuff, but our yard is put to bed, so I'm not really doing anything out there. Um, I saw my son the other day, which was great, and we watched a movie together, and that was cool, but like, I don't know. I had a hankering. <laughs> I don't get hankerings very often, but <laughs> I got a hankering to watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, that new film. It looks great. And I was convinced, because there's tons of trailers out about it right now, I was convinced it was out this weekend. So I woke up this morning like, we are going to go see a matinee of Ghostbusters Afterlife. And to my utter disappointment, it's not even out yet. Why are they bombarding you with trailers for a film that's not out for another week? Like, I get the Monday of, hey, make plans for the weekend. But a week and a half, two weeks out? Come on, it's a little too much. You, you wet my appetite, and I cannot satiate it. <laughs> you, it's torture at this point. Anyway. One thing that I'm a little concerned about. All right, I, I got to go off on this for just a second. So if, if, you, if you grew up when I grew up, or there was some sort of overlap there, Ghostbusters was a huge media shift. It focused on really adult comedians delivering really adult humor on a show based around really sort of childlike premise. It was wildly entertaining. And the reason why none of the sequels really measured up to the original, you know, we had that all-female cast one come out, and what I'm really afraid of is that this new one, is that they're playing down the humor to a youthful audience rather than keeping it college-level level humor. The reason the first Ghostbusters worked is because it was adult humor. They didn't play down to an audience. They didn't even think it was going to work when they put it out there. But it resonated with people so much because it was adult. It was not infantile and childish. You know, it wasn't like the stupid animal house, you know, fart, dick and fart joke humor. I mean, there's a taste of that. But for the most part, it's all, you know, a bunch of adults busting each other's chops trying to live through some kind of insanity. And that's what is wonderful about it. It's not a child thing. You know, it's an adult thing. Anyway, we came, we saw, we kicked its ass. That's right. <laughs> that's right, Jason. It is true. He has no dick. That's what I heard. <laughs> I mean, this is great humor. Anyway, I guess it is kind of childish. But it's not as childish as, you know, cute little marshmallow men running around on a store shelf. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. But let's talk about Satanism. Let's dive into a little devil's advocate. We got some stuff to cover. I became aware of this because of a, uh, well, let's just say a, a dear friend posted it in some sort of place that I found it. Otherwise, I would have had no idea that this even existed. Um, but Anton LaVey speaks, the canonical interview is a Kindle and print release of an article 
of an interview article about Anton LaVey by Jack Pritchard, which was originally published in Jack Pritchard's popular witchcraft straight from the witch's mouth novel. And that was released by Bowler Green University Press in 1972. This is a collection and refinement of the entirety of the article. And it's released November 11th, 2021 by Palm Drive Publishing. Now, you may argue it's just a cash grab on, you know, an idea that's sort of in the zeitgeist right now, Satanism in general. But I was kind of glad to get this. Now, there is a version of this. There is a, a snippet of this on the Church of Satan's website from the original uh, popular witchcraft novel. And... Um, it's on uh, uh, churchofsatan.com slash interview dash popular dash witchcraft is the URL. So go check that out if you don't want to pick up this article. But I would recommend that you pick it up because there's there's something about revisiting the wit and wisdom of our founder so many years removed that reminds you about the genuine timelessness of this religion. You know, it's, it's easy to say 50 plus years on that you're like, no, Satanism has never changed. It's always had these tenets in mind. It's always believed this way or that way. But until you get those original source materials, whether it's archival footage, documentary, or interviews, it could seem like lip service. And then when you do revisit these wonderful pieces, you're reminded that, yeah, no, it, it's always been like that. <laughs> So there was a couple highlighted notes that I put down on the Kindle edition that I picked up that I'm going to get to in a second. But first, I want to deliver um, the sort of uh, the presentation of it. This is the blurb that the publisher wrote, and I want to, I want to give this to you first because it's nice. It sets a scene. And that's what I think, uh, before I dive into the, the, the reading here, that's what I think is so great about this particular article over some other ones. And I will have to say that, yes, it does seem a little bit sort of like softball-y and, you know, playing the game that's being dealt. There's no challenging questions here. There's no, like, kicking ideas back that, you know, the, the author doesn't perhaps seem to agree with. There's very much just, oh, yes, and. You know, it's very, it's very sort of old-school improv-based. Yes, and. So keep that in mind. At midnight, on the historic night of July 29, 1971, High Priest Anton LaVey sat down with journalist Jack Fritcher, Frit, Fritcher, Fritcher to speak frankly about the role of the Satanic Church and Satanism in the ongoing revolution around sex, race, and gender. This seminal interview, conducted in the fifth Satanic year, is the first and earliest in-depth interview given by Anton LaVey, whose Satanic Bible was published only two years before in 1969. Marcelo Truzzi wrote in Fate magazine, This is the most candid and informative interview that Anton LaVey had given anyone for publication to date. LaVey and Fritzer hit it off. LaVey responds graciously, humorously, and definitively about how and why he founded the church while he addresses American religions, White Wicca, the Manson family, and the death of James Mansfield. He sets the record straight, declaring to Fritzer that he displayed the devil in Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. Growing more golden over the past 50 years, this interview has entered the classic canon of satanic literature in the Church of Satan. 
Certainly, the candid conversation catches one of the most intriguing men of the 20th century around the moment when the swing in the 1960s became the Titanic 1970s that helped shape the myth, magic, and mysticism of our new century. Here's the truth of what Anton LaVey said. He himself frequently endorsed the accuracy. This is the original question and answer format of the interview. So it's presented and it creates this really kind of wonderful atmospheric narrative of him approaching the Black House, being uh, in, uh, uh, brought into the front room and him politely waiting for the doctor, the doctor's entrance, and, and them just sort of spending the early hours of the morning into the early morning talking, connecting, and just sharing these ideas of Satanism. Now, I do want to say that I don't think this was ever intended to be a contesting interview. You know, Jack Fritzer, for all intents and purposes, was writing a book about witchcraft. And so he was going to source individuals of authority in order to talk to them about it. So it's not him trying to push back on ideas. And I was afraid that, you know, I might, I might suggest that that's the case by complaining that he never did. But the truth is, is the strength of Satanism doesn't come from the delivery of it. I think that's empowering. I think it's emboldening. I think it's powerful, yes. But the strength of Satanism is in the contesting of its ideas and its lasting throughout history because you can't argue the facts of the religion. We are carnal human animals. No better, no worse than those who walk on all four. We tend to forget our past orthodoxies, which force us to suffer the same indignities that those historical persons did. And those of us who can use magic regularly excel in life. Like there, there's some fundamental ideas in this religion that unless they're challenged, they just sort of like, it's like a whitewashing almost. It's like, okay, yeah, that's a thing. But no, it's, it's more than that. And that's why that, that, um, that concept of uh, questioning all things is so incredibly important in Satanism. Because it's only when you push back that you realize the validity of the substance of the religion. So that's, that was my big complaint, <laughs> that there was none of that. I don't know why I'm going off on this for some reason. Uh, but there are some ideas here that I wanted to kind of touch on throughout the interview. Because I do genuinely think it was good. So there's a point where Fitcher says, is the absolute Satanist transcendent, self-reliant, self-creating? And LaVey says, the absolute Satanist is totally aware of his own abilities and limitations. On this self-knowledge, he builds his character. The absolute Satanist is far removed from the masses who look for satanic pleasure in the psychedelics of the head shops. We Satanists are magically a part of all this surface culture. I think there's a really important moment there that anyone, you know, that, that's come after the fact who has talked about Satanism has really drilled home this idea frequently. And I've certainly spoken to it ad nauseum. But it's really nice to hear it from the source at the beginning. The absolute Satanist is totally aware of his own abilities and limitations. Not this self-deluding, I am the greatest human entity ever. I'm the highest embodiment of human life. I am my own God. I must be infallible. No. It's the recognition that, yeah, we've got faults. We are human. And we're going to work on them. 
we're going to use that as a jumping off point in order to decide, are these faults worth me exploring, correcting, or putting an effort to change in any way? Honest self-assessment is not easy, and it's not encouraged by any religion, because the bar is never you. The bar is always some invisible thing, entity, idea. Our bar is ourself, and understanding where we fail and where we succeed is incredibly important. That self-assessment, again, is challenging, and only Satanism forces you to stare in the mirror and accept the reality of who you are, even though arguably some of the people I met haven't. <laughs> Just putting it out there. It's like one of those ideas that everyone's like, yeah, we've got to do it, but I don't know. Does everyone? <laughs> Certainly not everyone admits to it. Achilles, welcome to the Ninth Circle. Good to see you. All right, there's some more. That's not it. That was great, though. Um, to manipulate someone, you've got to be able to relate to that someone, LeVay says. Their idea of witchery is not witchcraft so much in the sense of witchery being manipulative magic as witchery equivalenting, um, I'm sorry, equaling revelation of a spiritual nature. So there he's talking about the difference between sort of white light religions uh, or white witchcraft using magic and Satanists and satanic magic. And the reason why I highlighted this is because, again, it's an idea that I constantly hammer home on, and it's why I'm so fervent on the idea that as a Satanist, you should never choose a single archetype as an individual and just hold on to it for every engagement and interaction you ever have. That is poison to the Satanist, in my opinion. And it's extrapolated here. To manipulate someone, i.e. use lesser magic, You've got to be able to relate to that someone. It speaks to the importance of perspective. You have to have perspective. You have to meet other people on their own level in order to manipulate them. It seems a very simple idea, but it's an idea that not every Satanist really takes to heart. They want to be at a stable level and say, this is who I am. Accept me or reject me. I don't care. This is me but you'll never effectively practice lesser magic if that's your stance. You have to be malleable as a practicing satanic witch or warlock. You have to be able to adjust and alter and shape change like a doppelganger in order to manipulate people because you have to understand them at their level. If you don't, you fail before you even begin. So that's why I think it's so important. Yeah, in your regular day-to-day -day life when you're not trying to use satanic magic, fine, adopt a persona, adopt an archetype, enjoy yourself. That's what life's all about. But if you're trying to use lesser magic, you better understand perspective, you better understand where you fit into your worldview, and you need to understand your target and what they expect. That's not all. This article is full of a lot of really great information. And what I think is so powerful about it is that he doesn't just hit on like the standard, well, these are the nine satanic statements. No, no, no. He's throwing out a ton, just a, a, a veritable cornucopia of satanic ideas on this one little article that if you don't understand Satanism and you're just sort of diving into this article, I think it's going to be confusing to you and possibly you're not really going to, you know, fully comprehend the magnitude of the information therein. It's just, you know, you, you, can, you can dance over, you can tiptoe over the, the, the lily pads of the pond, as it were, of Satanism. But 
if you really want to just dive in, the content's here and it's waiting for you. All right, so let's keep going. My watch is talking to me. That was weird. Uh, LaVey says, children are in fact all natural Satanists, perfect at manipulating everyone. And this is in uh, relation to the idea of Rosemary's baby and um, what people expect of uh, children. And, um, you know, how uh, Anton LaVey had a satanic baptism for his kid, a public one, which you got to be honest, take some cojones. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a family, um, family services visit just waiting to happen for sure. Right. Um, but it's that celebration that, that, and, and it flies in the face of what everyone expects because of all the lies they've been told about Satanism, right? That Satanists sacrifice children or they indoctrinate their children. And the reverse is the truth. We don't want to hurt kids. They're natural magicians. We want to celebrate that. We try to tap into that as adults. So why would we want to squash that? We want the future to be enshrouded with satanic individuals, welcoming those ideas of true magic from childhood to adulthood. That's where we can actually have a productive and successful society. Um, and then the fact that from the very beginning, it's always been that, look, no, no, we don't want to hurt kids. We, we celebrate kids. We're not going to indoctrinate kids. I will have to say, if we're being fair, you can't really say you don't indoctrinate kids and then have a public satanic baptism for your kid. <laughs> a plus B equals what the fuck? Like that is a mixed message. You can't fault anyone for not understanding it. Eh, not the best choice. I understand the concept behind it, but in practice, probably not the best of ideas. That being said, the underlying truth of the matter is that no, we don't indoctrinate our kids. When uh, anyone in my entire life has ever found out that as an adult, I identify, it sounds really weird, I identify as a Satanist. That's, <laughs> I actually don't like that. Now, with all of the connotations surrounding the idea of identify as gender, identify as sexuality, or identify as X or Y, the idea that I identify as a Satanist, it kind of gets colored negatively. Just the identify with phrase. Blech. You are or you are not, right? So whenever I admit that, yes, I am a Satanist, they're like, ooh, what about your kids? What do you do to your kids? The fuck do you mean? What? Nothing. What, I don't, what are you talking about? Like, they have nothing to do with my religion. I don't talk. And this is the bit. If anyone ever asks me a question, I'm going to honestly answer the question. You may not like the answer, but that's what you asked for. And that goes with my kids, too. If they ever ask me a question about anything, I will answer it. But what I will not do is try to force them to be something that they may not be or force them to come to an understanding before their time. You know what I mean? They may end up being Satanists or they may not. But my forcing it on them would only act in the same way as my parents trying to force Mormonism on me. A total rejection. That's not me. Get the F away, you know? Uh, and so that's how I, how, how I, uh, I, I land on it. Thank you, Robert. I really appreciate you, man. All right, let's see here. There's more. That's not all. There's more. And it gets good. 
Here's one that actually I was shocked. And I've read this before, this line before. And in the back of my head, I knew it existed. But it flies in the face of all reality that I've seen. And so I have to, I have to bring it, the attention to it. So Freitzer's asking about racial anarchy, war, social chaos, women's lib. Your opinions are interesting. The first years of the Church of Satan, insofar as right now you're, you are the Church of Satan, you have many opinions. Are they subject to change? And LaVey says, even the Church of Satan will change as time goes by. Yeah. Boy, was he wrong. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing, right? Like, yeah, we haven't changed because we don't need to change because all of the tenets that are ascribed, all the ideas that are shared, all, all the beliefs that are held, if they're, you know, beliefs in that sense, they're, they're true to the carnal beings that we are. So, no, they don't change. And the fact that he says that, yeah, even the true Satan will change. No, sorry, man. <laughs> Like, you did such a good job that you're wrong about it. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta appreciate that. At least I do. Um, oh, here's a good one. This is where Fritzer is talking about Satan's will, right? This idea of um, the devil having some sort of power or something. And LeVay responds, Whose will is Satan's will? We have to go to the point of no return before we can return. We will get to the point where anybody who is establishment-oriented is suspect as being the worst kind of individual. And I had to sit back in my seat and just be like, wow, that is like, you can apply that to every socio-political issue that is out there right now. We get to a point, which I believe is right now, where Anybody who is establishment-oriented is suspect as being the worst kind of individual. And that's truth. You, you can't argue that. Like, I don't care where you land in your social-political spectrum. You can't deny that establishment-oriented individuals are the worst, right? And this is a throwaway line in reference to the idea of individual will and not kowtowing to an establishment-oriented perspective, but it doesn't matter on the individual level. Once you become the establishment, there is no individual anymore because you're the establishment. And that's the, the sole reason why we so, see so much corruption in our social political uh, arenas. You know, I thought it was great. I think there's one more or two more. I'm going to try to find them. Okay, here's one. In terms of homosexuality, the Church of Satan does not invite males as altars simply because the male is not considered to be the receptacle or passive carrier of human life. So the concept of a nude altar is that they are the receptor of your adrenal energies, right? And this has been spoken to, and so, you know, we can actually put a little pin in this and say, yes, this is in fact where the Church of Satan has changed because... We are at a point where I've had an interview years ago with um, our high priest, uh, Magistra Peganodramia, where she just straight up said, yeah, no, if, if what generates the adrenal energy for you is to look upon a male altar, then that's what you should use. And I'm paraphrasing here. Because the purpose of ritual is to not only just generate those energies, but then direct them, focus them on the problem at hand. 
That's the whole purpose. So if you're not doing that or you're not using the tools that best serve you to that end, you're not going to you're not going to be very successful in satanic magic. And so it just makes sense that if you're a man who likes women, that you would want to see a nude female altar. If you're a man who likes men or a woman who likes men, that perhaps that's what you would like to see. It's it's one of those yeah, no shit ideas. LeVay does go on to clarify that, look, if you want to do it, you know, then they're going to do what they want to do. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, the whole point is to, to, to tailor it to your own tastes. So it's not like this was this law that he put down. But if you're the high priest, if you are the founder of the religion, the founder of the Church of Satan as an organization, and you say something, there's weight behind that that people will take out of context, or they will take as this sort of tongue-in-cheek holy scripture that cannot bend. And we have to understand that as Satanists, nothing supersedes the individual. You've got to remember that. So whatever does it for you, that's what's important. All right, let's see here. What else? What else? Is that it? Oh, yeah. And so there, there's a bunch of ideas because, you know, in the early days, LeVay was doing a whole lot of um, sex magazines. He did a whole nude witch review. And, you know, there's a lot of Satanism around the idea of sex. I mean, the whole black mass, um, nude female altars, all the photography. It's supposed to be sensational to get people's attention. He was very smart in that aspect. But then it starts to color the entire idea of the religion as saying, well, Satanism is just about sex, right? And LeVay says, no, Satanism's about self-realization. Self-realization, more than the sex act, is the main tenet of Satanism. Again, one of those yeah, no shit things, but from the outside looking in, you would never know that. You would never know this. The Satanic Bible is the best self-help book ever printed, period. You would never know that Satanism is about self-realization. Because, again... In order to spread the awareness of it, you have to do these sort of sensational things. At least he did anyway, and it worked. So I love that. Um, I think that, oh, there's a couple more. <clears throat> and he, he doubles down here, and he says, Satanism is self-realization. Self-realization is power. Now, you will find no more powerful Satanist than the Satanist who knows themselves. And that's because they understand perspective. What the hell? What the hell just happened? <laughs> My internet just shut down. Like, completely. That sucks. Um, that totally sucked. All right, well, I'm back. <laughs> Look who's back. Back again. Um, I don't know where I left off. Whatever. Hopefully you got the gist of it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like repeating myself. Uh, and that's, you know, there's a lot of other information that's really valuable in this article, but those were the, the main points that I took away that I made highlight in the, the, the piece that I got. So I highly recommend everyone check that out. And as Ruth is saying in uh, chat here, we are Satanists, page 90. I'm going to have to look to see what, what you're referencing, but uh, you should definitely check that out because it has a lot of really great information in it as well. Hi, Ashley. Thanks for joining the live. Okay. Shady's back. Tell everyone. Let's do a little Infernal Informant. That was weird. The whole system just shut off for a second. That was crazy. 
All right. <clears throat> Let me switch this image out. We will dive in. This lovely lady up here. Lack of charges in fatal West Side shootout lead Mayor Lightfoot to criticize prosecutor Kim Fox. We can't live in a world where there is no accountability. This is from Chicago Tribune. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot criticized Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox on Monday after her office declined to bring charges against suspects in the fatal West Side shootout where gunmen fired into a home late last week. Her comments prompted a pointed response from Fox's office saying, the mayor is fully aware that we are obl obligated not to try cases in the media. In the latest dispute between City Hall and the county's top prosecutor amid high violent crime, Lightfoot said she was concerned by a decision by Fox's office not to bring charges related to the Friday morning exchange of gunfire, where four people exited two vehicles and shot into a home in North Mason Avenue, and people inside fired at them, according to authorities. One person was killed and the shooters outside the home fled during the incident, which was also witnessed by police officers and caught on a city street camera. Lightfoot raised the incident as an unrelated press conference, saying Fox's decision not to bring charges is of deep concern to me. Having looked at this, gotten a deep understanding from the detectives that were doing the investigation, it's really hard to understand that decision, Lightfoot said. It's complicated for sure, but we really urge the state's attorney herself to get personally involved, look at the evidence, and I believe that there are charges that can be brought at a minimum against the individuals who initiated the gunfire. Fox's office released a statement in response to Lightfoot's comments saying prosecutors have an ethical obligation to only bring forth charges where the facts, evidence, and law support it. Police detectives acknowledged to prosecutors that given the chaotic nature of the scene, they were unable to determine how the events unfolded and agreed that they weren't able to approve charges based on the evidence to date, according to Fox's office. Now, already, I think there's some shenanigans afoot because they said there were officers on the scene and there was street camera footage of the incident. So to say that there's not enough evidence to bring forth charges when there is evidence to bring forth charges, eh, something's going on. Something's not quite right. The staggering violence that has devastated our... I have no idea what the hell is going on. No idea at all, but it's driving me insane. Doggone it. I don't know where I left off. Fox's office had released an earlier statement saying that there wasn't enough evidence to prove felony charges beyond a reasonable doubt. Lightfoot and several West Side aldermen sent a letter to Fox asking her to reconsider the decision. We can't live in a world where there is no accountability, Lightfoot said, where when there's no accountability, meaning individuals who wreak havoc, who fire indiscriminately or fire at a target, but without any regard for the sanctity of life and the health and well-being of others, if they do not feel like the criminal justice system is going to hold them accountable, we're going to see a level of brazenness that will send the city into chaos. We cannot let this happen. And again, this is all because there was a statement uh, released by the, uh, um, the judge. I'm trying to look for the exact wording here. Oh, here it is. The real answer is when you have mutual combatants, people shooting at each other, we want to charge everyone, right? So the reason why they didn't bring charges is because they were mutual combatants. 
meaning there are two people firing at each other. I, I come down on this on a couple different ways, which may not be shocking. One, I kind of like the idea of mutual combatants going and, and just saying, hey, look, this is, the, this is where we live, okay? You fire on me, I'm going to fire on you and let the chips like land where they may, you know? Not regular average people, but, you know, sort of Old West gunslinger style. You walk into a bar with a sidearm, you can't be angry when someone calls you out to the street to shoot at you. You're carrying yourself in a manner that says, I am willing to throw down, I am willing to kill or be killed. And if that person who is willing to be killed and killed then gets killed, well, you kind of asked for it, right? I don't see a problem with that idea. And the mo like Utah just passed a law where you do not need, it's called constitutional carry. You do not need a concealed carrier's permit in order to carry a concealed firearm. Okay, except when I put down that person because they pulled their firearm at me, I don't want you to put up a big fuss or charge me for it. Because you said it's okay for everyone to carry a gun, that means people are going to carry and use the guns. That means I'm going to protect myself when I have a concealed carry permit. I'm going to use it. Right? So, mutual combatants. That's the law that seems to be accepted by uh, the Second Amendment and gun owners all across the world. Now, if you don't have a firearm, well, then I do think that's pretty fucked up and you should be charged if you get shot or killed. The person who shot you or killed you should be charged. Yes, of course. The family should have their vengeance through the law because we don't appreciate vigilantes unless it's a mutual combatant, apparently in Chicago. <clears throat> and it's weird because, yes, I do think genuinely, if you're strutting around town, like those assholes who go to protests with AR-15 strapped to their chest, saying that they're protecting police officers, which is another way of saying police officers are pussies and they can't take care of themselves, or I just want to go kill someone and I need to come up with a good reason to be able to go kill someone. Those are the two places I land on with any of those asshole militants or militia members or gun ownership organizations that go to protect our cops. You're a bunch of douches. Get a fucking life. But, I digress. Um, yeah, if you step out in there and you get shot in the face because you're showing your dick and no one wants to see it, well, sorry, bad day for you. You showed your dick. You shouldn't have. You should have kept it at home and polished it and cleaned it and went to the range and had your fun with it and left it at that. We can't, at both times, live in a world of law and order and... Mutual combatants. It's one or the other. You can't have your cake and you can't eat it too. It's kind of messed up that you have cake and that you can't eat it. <laughs> but that's the saying. I didn't make it up. <laughs> so we're just we're putting it out there, right? And so I look at this and I'm like, is what could we have done as a society to prevent this? Nothing. I don't think there's anything you can do. If you're in a gang and you're in a rival gang, and you there's some sort of beef between you. I don't care if it's Italian mafia. I don't care if it's old school um, farmers 
uh, territory disputes. I, I don't care if it's gang, modern gang warfare between homies. It's going to happen. Like, it, it's just going to happen. When you have a culture like the, our American culture that forces this idea of individuality over everything, which I agree with, by the way, um, you're going to end up with people bonding together as individuals and tribes and facing off against other individuals and tribes. That's just the natural course of individuality. You're going to rub people the wrong way. You're going to create manufactured division between groups or individuals. It's just a natural part of human beings. Whether it's good or not, or moral or not, depends on where you land on it. But the reality is, is it's going to happen. It has happened throughout all of history. To think that it won't happen in the future is a little absurd. Now, Gun laws are not going to help either because Chicago has pretty strict gun laws. Now, you could argue that the proximity to locations that do not have strict gun laws is part of the problem, <laughs> that there's so many guns. But again, this is one of those things where we will have this in a society that celebrates firearms full stop. We will. It's just you, with one comes the other. Now, you have to understand you know, you have to, you have to get to a point where either you accept that or you don't. It's your choice as an individual, wherever you land on it is fine. Push for it politically. Wherever you land, use politics to try to, you know, get your uh, will out there and, and change the rules to however you feel it should be changed. There's a system in place for that. But in this particular case, unless there are consequences for actions, then those actions will be repeated a lot and forever. You, you just, you cannot have no law and order and expect law and order. You just can't. So as an attorney general or as a judge, you have to bring charges on people who break the law. Now, I'm not talking about like a cop watching someone jaywalk, you know, Use the spirit of the law to guide your actions, right? The spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, because sometimes it doesn't make sense. Someone's running across the street. Don't give them a ticket. That's stupid. If they didn't endanger anyone else, they didn't endanger themselves, let it be, right? But if you shoot at someone in their house, then you should probably face consequences, whether you're a cop or whether you're a gang member, period. That's just the truth. Like, that's the reality of it. You can't walk into someone's home thinking that there's some drug dealer and you have the wrong intel. You kill them and then uh, you just don't have any consequences, as we've seen with cops. And you certainly can't, as gang members, shoot at a freaking civilian's household. Whether you get shot at back or not, doesn't matter. You should face consequences for that. And as a system... We either have to agree that yes, there are consequences, or no, there are not. And if you say there's not, okay, but that means you have no sense of safety, period. I could walk up and put a bullet in your face, period. And I'd be justified under your logic. There has to be consequences to actions that are deemed by the society as inappropriate immoral, and or illegal. There has to be. What do you guys have to say about this?
constitutional carry is what it should be everywhere. I, I disagree, but yeah, I mean, it certainly is in a lot of places. I think you have, you should be trained on the importance of firearms before you just start carrying firearms. Constitutional carry doesn't care, care about that at all. They just say, hey, if you're an adult, if you're of legal age, carry. Okay, but that means that you're not necessarily trained properly. You don't know how to properly use your firearm in some cases, certainly not in the majority or in all. But the truth is, is if you're not ever trained, then you can make mistakes more likely than those who are trained. It just, it, it seems logical to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Your dream in empire heritage agrees dueling is effective. <laughs> yeah, dude, we could go back to dueling. Not just jewels, but professional black powder one-shot duels. Oh, dude. I would not want to do that. <laughs> no. Uh, there goes back to why domestication of the American public is such a problem. Um, evening, Danline. How you doing? Entire point of being armed is so that you have less instance of assholery. It is. Everyone acts a fool with no consequences. Oh, you're right. You're right. That is, that's the argument for being armed, is that you can put down the nonsense quickly. Um... But it certainly seems like we're seeing the opposite in some places. Chicago specifically. People are trying to legislate human nature. If everyone's domesticated, then who's domesticating them? Um, assholes. <laughs> in almost all cases. <laughs> uh, let's see. Death comes to everyone. It's just a matter of time. There's no law to prevent that. Brianna Taylor. Yeah, Ruth. That's who I was speaking to for sure. Politicians flakiness is making more people think violence is somehow permitted you're absolutely right and it, and, and it's going we're going to see it again you know if there are no consequences brought to these people then yeah for sure we will see it but again i kind of like the idea of it i like the idea of two groups or two individuals saying if i'm okay with being killed and i'm okay killing other people who are okay being killed and they're okay with being killed and killing me well, then it's just a big happy family of, you know, Wild West. Let's do it. Like, game on. The problem with that are the innocent bystanders who aren't down with your, you know, um, mutual combatant ideology. That's the problem. You know, it's the same argument with the vaccines, with wearing masks, and public health in general. And yes, this falls in the line of public health. Um, we either all agree and protect each other or we don't and that protection is flawed and non-existent. That's, that's kind of how it works. You know, herd immunity from viruses and from diseases and stuff only works if everyone kind of goes along. But if there's a faction of people who are like, no, I want to eat horse shit and get diseases and I want to eat raw pork and I want to, you know, I want to do everything because I want to face consequences. Well, then you're going to spread those consequences to everyone else. It's not just you. The individual is not, this is the, and this is the struggle with Satanism and, uh, and uh, being in a society. And this is certainly a struggle that I uh, uh, come down on because my governing sociopolitical ideology begins with the individual and then is extrapolated to a public sense in order to protect the individual, right? So it's individual, my individual rights that guide the decisions I make in a social political arena. So when people say, well, how can you as a Satanist believe this or vote that? Well, it's because I believe 
that in the end, it's going to benefit me as the individual. It's going to protect me as the individual. And that's really what it comes down to. So I don't think any Satanist agrees, no matter where you lie sociopolitically, with every idea in that sociopolitical realm. But as long as it's serving the individual, i.e. you, well, then that's all that really matters, right? So that's the governing ideology that I move forward with. And so that's also why I say, look, you cannot just carry firearms and shoot people with them. You just can't. Like, carry firearms? Okay. If someone pulls a gun on you to try to shoot you, okay, well, you're still going to be prosecuted for murder if you kill them. It's, it's that simple. You know, this whole stand your ground bullshit, I honestly believe is bullshit because it encourages people to then whip out their gun and use it. And the point of public arms is to prevent that from occurring in the first place, not to encourage its use, which is what we're actually seeing. That's my interpretation. Disagree, by all means, if you want. All right, um, let's do a little creature feature. Let's have some fun. This is a weird one. It is weird, but we're going to talk about it. I really dug it. This is called Gaia. Um, the log line is this. An injured forest ranger in a routine mission is saved by two off-the-grid survivalists. What is initially a welcome rescue grows more suspicious as the son and his renegade father reveal a cultish devotion to the forest. This is a South African ecological horror thriller film directed by Jacko Bauer, written by Tertius Knapp. And the music, and I have to call it the music because, wow, is produced by um, Pierre-Henry Wycombe. And the cinematography is also quite beautiful and stunning, is by Jory van der Walt. Or Walt. I don't know, sorry. Um, I wanted to talk about this because the, the premise, I believe, is one that... Uh, I mean, it's all made up. It's all, it's all fake. But I like the idea of it. So the premise is that uh, the, the, the oldest organisms in this natural world of ours are plants, right? Um, the idea that there's this oh, I keep doing that. organism that has grown and evolved to a point of sentience. Now, it's not so far off because plants will give life and food to other plants in the same uh, area in order to, you know, sustain the, the life and uh, um, the lushness of the environment. That's, they share life. I mean, that's just a reality. Fungus do the same thing. They actually create like this neural network of uh, information that other plants tap into and feed off of. It's really fascinating when you look into it. But fung molds, fungus, and plants all work together in this mutual, um, uh, I don't know, survival techniques. I mean, it's really, really fascinating. So the idea that 
Well, maybe there's not a cap to that. Maybe there's an evolution, not just in communicating and helping each other as plants, but stopping those who are actually destroying those plants, molds, and fungus. Us. Now, again, there's been some versions of this with like M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening, um, but this is done in a much better way, in my personal opinion. So, ostensibly, you're in this rainforest as you come in. Um, these forest rangers uh, are, you know, floating down this river, and they're basically talking about how they're doing these checkpoints to check on the, the, the nature itself, the animal and plant life, and, you know, just sort of create a sustainable environment free from human uh, infection. And they talk briefly about how there are these uh, environmentalists that came here and they just disappeared off the grid. People suspected they were murdered or whatever. Um, their drone goes missing, so one of them goes after the drone, the female, and she ends up finding this hut after she falls into one of these uh, people's traps and like uh, this, well, this spike breaks through her foot, basically hobbling her. So she breaks into their hut and she's lying there and they come on her. So the, the, the idea is that these environmentalists are the ones killing and trying to kill her. But the truth is they're just trying to exist within the nature of this plant life, this God, this Gaia, Mother Nature herself, that has become sentient. And they're trying to live this stable life. But there's a consequence because if you don't live in harmony with nature in this environment, nature takes you over. And so it creates these really cool like human fungus hybrids where it takes your sentience and allows mold and fungus and plants and lichen and everything to grow on you and through you, creating this almost monster that's a guard for nature itself. And so these, the, the environmentalists are trying to protect against and fight off these sort of humans turned nature's guards while they're like worshiping mother nature herself, Gaia. It is fascinating as a premise. And, and the execution is great because you don't know where it lands. And it's not through an American sensibility, which is something I really appreciate. When we're only fed information from an American perspective, it is very skewed. I mean, everything we do is very twisted into this weird patriotic lens whenever it's from America, right? Whether it's intentional or not. And there's sensibilities that are outside of the American experience that I think are very valid and very worth exploring. And this is a South African film set in a very South American environment. And so it does have a different sensibility. It, it feels tonally different than what an American would create. And I like the authenticity to the creator's voice that it brings. What is going on with my internet? What is happening? It's either cutting out or it thinks I'm talking to it. God. I don't understand what's happening, man. It's really great, though. It, I, it's, it's so next level of Swamp Thing, though, Anton. So, I mean, saying that is like a huge disservice to the complexity of the thing here. But there's levels of understanding and engagement, right? So on the surface, it's these environmentalists who just return to the nature to worship Mother Nature. Okay, big deal. That's sort of the environmentalist way anyway, right? But then there's these forest rangers who go into the situation. One of them gets separated and overtaken by Gaia herself. And the other one gets attacked, accidentally falls into a trap from these environmentalists. And then, you know, sort of comes into their care. 
Then it starts getting supernatural in tone, which is where it brings this whole nother element. There's this whole sexual tension between the, the forest ranger female and the son of the hippie that brought him here. You find out that the hippie came with his wife. His wife can't, I don't want to spoil everything, but his, um, the wife's not around anymore. And, uh, it's just the son who was literally raised in this environment. So this is all he knows. His father teaches him that all technology is bad, even like the cell phone that the forest ranger has. It is crazy. And it gets to these psychological angles that, as someone who appreciates shrooms, you know, like once a year or something, I really appreciate. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, the, 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 the directions that they go in and the, the, the ideas, the concepts they sort of twist on their head about connections to nature, the devotion to nature, what you're willing to do, it starts to play on this idea that environmentalism is really hand-in-hand -hand with Old Testament uh, Abrahamic religions. You know, Islam, Islamic Judeo-Christians all have that Old Testament uh, sensibility. Well, same with this. And it gets to some really kind of crazy places that I feel like are, you know, there, there's at times there's very light humor that you kind of appreciate. Um, there's this really weird psychedelic edge to it that is very cool. But the underlying message of it's better to live in harmony with nature than against it because it only serves your existence is the underlying message there is buried, but it is very present in this. And it's one that I celebrate as well. I mean, I think as a human being, we have to live in harmony with our environment. And as Satanists, if we want to live as long as possible and enjoy this life that we have, then we can't actively poison our environment because <laughs> that's going to shorten our life and certainly our quality of life during the short time we have. So I really appreciated this film. It has its flaws. Again, it is not as polished as most Hollywood films. It feels very indie, but I like that. I appreciate that tone. And I don't know if it's shitty of me to say it feels indie because it is not from an American producer, that it does have this tone of authenticity to it, which lends itself to a, la a lack of refinement, perhaps. But that actually endears me more to the story, to the characters, and certainly to the environment that they're trying to portray. It's, it's a very interesting watch. I highly recommend you check it out if you're into that type of stuff. All right. Are shrooms worth trying once, do you think? I think every individual should make an informed decision on their own about everything. I do not suggest anyone try any drugs, legal or illegal, without going into it and understanding consequences and possible benefits. There are therapists that will walk through um, your use of shrooms for therapy and a lot of um, uh, uh, insurances cover it nowadays. So again, the purpose is not to do a drug and get high and get fucked up. That is not the purpose. The purpose is to understand your mind and what's holding you back better. That's the purpose of therapy, is to work on yourself. Now, this is a tool that helps people with PTSD. It helps people with massive depression issues. It helps people with chemical imbalances. It helps people find themselves 
through the traumas that they've experienced, I do not recommend anyone recklessly go about their own way and do their own thing. If you want to explore the idea with a therapist because you have something to go through to, to process, well then talk with your therapist. But I would never recommend anyone do any drugs, period. I don't care if it's aspirin or whatever. That's your choice. You make that choice. Don't put that on me. Own your own choices. Um, India's the best in your opinion? Yeah, Sean, I think in, in some cases it certainly is. We, we've been poisoned as an American society by these, for the past, I don't know, decade or more, with these big budget Hollywood um, superhero flicks, which, you know, it's eye candy, you know, enjoy it. But there's no substance. There's no meat to it, you know? You don't feel filled after you've experienced it. There are some films out there that will hit in any genre you're interested in that actually connect with the human experience, which is the whole point of storytelling, where you do feel fulfilled in some way. You feel like you connected with something in some way. This film made me feel like I was connected in some way with something. Now, it was terrifying and sad <laughs> and not a good feeling, but I still enjoyed it because of that, you know? I don't know. Uh, thanks, Cameron. <laughs> thanks a lot. Uh, all right. Well, before my internet cuts out on me again, I think that's a perfect place to end this conversation. Um, don't do drugs. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, thank you so much for uh, tuning into this episode of Nine Cents. I hope you enjoyed it. Of course, you can find any of my satanic content on my website, reverendcampbell.com. If you're ever curious to learn a little bit more about Satanism or you want to know about the Church of Satan, the organization that defines and defends Satanism from the beginning, visit churchofsatan.com, read the Satanic Bible and the Satanic Scriptures, and We Are Satanists is another one of those musts, in my humble opinion. So do yourselves a favor, people. Educate. <laughs> Educate yourselves. I can't learn you everything myself. <laughs> you need to be learned by yourself sometime. Uh, learn how to read and then read. It's important. Uh, until next week, everyone. Hail Satan. Have a good one. <laughs>